0: Amen. Thank you, Brother Tony. Let's take our Bibles tonight. Please turn to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8 and verse 41 tonight. Luke chapter 8, verse 41. You know, it's funny, and I'm, I'm just thinking, I guess, about our situation, of course, not having a congregation here tonight, save one, two, three, four, seven, eight people in the auditorium besides myself and And uh, there were days, I can remember, Ida, days we'd go to a a prayer meeting. If we had eight people, we were pretty excited some nights. And now, you know, it's, it's funny how our perspective changes. And I'm thankful for the eight that are here. Thank you for being here. But, boy, I miss the days where the room is full, and especially the singing time. Boy, I love to hear when the church is full and people are singing. And so... We will welcome you back as soon as possible. We miss you folks, and we want you to be here and we want to gather and sing and have a good time and I'll tell you it's different when the when the people are gathered, the Bible says where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty, and there's just a different feeling, a different sense, and we often don't follow an order of service we just we have one and we, we start with it perhaps, but the Lord moves in and it's just that's you folks when you come and you're prayed up, and God is moving. It really it really does makes a difference in the service, and so we we're thrilled when you can all come back and be together once again and so uh, let 's look tonight at Luke chapter eight, and uh, it changes I, I believe it changes the preaching even Boy, it's it's difficult sometimes to to preach to just a few, but we uh, we'll do our best. Luke chapter eight verse forty one now I, i've spent a lot of time in Luke lately, Luke eight and nine in the last few weeks and and I, I'm going to say this, I preached this very passage. Luke chapter 8, verses 41 through 56. I preached it in the fall, but it was a completely different message entitled An Inconvenient Plague. Uh, you might remember, I don't know, it's the story of J. Iris and his daughter who lay dying. And we had this interruption, this woman with the plague, the issue of blood. And it interrupted his life and it interrupted his purpose that day. And I kind of related it to how we feel a little bit. Sometimes. Things get in our way and things interrupt our lives. But we could see from the scripture that God was still in control. But we're going to look at it from a different perspective tonight. We're going to look at it uh, with the perspective of this. And I'm not going to read the whole passage right now. We'll look at the verses at the end, near the end of the message. But I take my title from verse 53, They laughed him to scorn. They laughed him to scorn. It was an amazing thing to me to understand that the King of kings and the Lord of lords descended from heaven and took his place upon this earth. And yet people would laugh at him for the miracles that he did. Now understand he had not yet performed this miracle, but he had healed the woman with the issue of blood. And he'd healed many more in the multitude on his way. The Bible says they were pressing against him. We'll see that in a moment. And Christ had healed so many already. This was now well into the year of popularity and, and Christ was no longer a secret. And yet they laughed him to scorn because he said, she is not dead, but she sleepeth. Let's begin reading in the first couple of verses and we'll get the context and understand who it is we are talking about. Verse 41 says, "And behold, there came a man named Jairus. And he was a ruler of the synagogue and he fell down at Jesus' feet and besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only, <coughs> excuse me, for he had one only daughter about 12 years of age." And Shelia dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. Let's pray. <clears throat> our Heavenly Father, we are thankful tonight, Lord, for your many blessings in our life. Father, I am thankful, honestly thankful tonight, that I have not had to experience what J. Iris is experiencing. I don't mean to stand like a Pharisee and talk about a publican beside me. I'm, I don't mean that in any way. I'm just so thankful, Lord, that I've never had to watch a 12-year-old child die. That we've never, that you have taken care of our family. You've taken care of the families in our church. And Lord, I know there are some that have lost children, but I have, since I've been here, never seen a, a young child like this suffer or die. And for that, we're grateful. And Father, I do pray, Lord, that you would help us understand the Word of God as we look at it tonight. And Lord, speak to our hearts. And as we think about near the end of the message and the the point that we'll draw out from this message, that they laughed him to scorn. Lord, it's something that maybe we need to look in our own hearts. Maybe we need to stop and think, I don't openly laugh at the Lord, but I sometimes find... It's preposterous when people are praying for somebody so sick, somebody on the brink of death, somebody who perhaps doesn't deserve us praying for them. Perhaps we don't believe that Christ can perform the miracle, and though we may not openly laugh out loud, we have that same doubt in our hearts. Oh God, I pray that you'd help us, Lord, to resolve that, grow our faith. Lord, sometimes we just need to see you at work, Lord, in order to believe, because we are a, the Bible says, a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and and I freely admit so often that's what we are. We just look for you to work with lightning and thunder. So God, move in our hearts tonight with your word. Speak to us, we pray. Lord, help my voice. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And behold, there came a man named Jairus. Perhaps you could insert your name right there in verse 41. Perhaps you've been down this road, and I don't know if it's of a child that lays dying, but perhaps it's been of a sick child. Perhaps it's been a burden upon your heart for a loved one, a friend, somebody that is going through a difficult time. And you think the only thing I must do is get to Jesus. I think as we go through the first part of the message this morning, you'll see some similarities perhaps to the morning message, and that was not necessarily my intent, but we see the same type of thing as he approached Jesus humbly, and he bared his heart before the Lord and asked God to help him. He wasn't rebuffed like uh, the lady this morning was, but uh, Jairus was answered almost immediately as Jesus began to move towards his home, and yet we see that he came with the same type of heart as this Syrophoenician woman. The Bible says he came and he was a ruler of the synagogue. How how, how he had to humble himself before God of a Syrophoenician woman who was outside the covenant of Israel and, and, and as Jesus put it, was not one that would sit at the table and eat of the children's bread. This Pharisee would probably be at the other end of the spectrum thinking he was too good to lower himself and go and talk to Jesus. But a sick child will change that in a hurry. And the Bible says he came in, the Bible says in verse 41, he fell down, At Jesus' feet, and he besought him that he would come into his house. For he had only one daughter, about 12 years of age, and she lay a-dying. But as he went, the people thronged him. And we see, first of all, tonight, if we can just pull apart the scriptures very quickly till we get to our point. By way of outline, we see a desperate inquiry. We notice that it was Personal. There have been other times in the Bible that Pharisees and rulers of the Jews have sent people on their behalf to Jesus... Saying, would you come and help my servant's son? Help my servant's daughter? Would you come back and and be a blessing to my master? And, And they've sent servants on their behalf, but not this time. Jairus was so desperate that he would lower himself, a ruler of the synagogue, and take his desperate inquiry to Jesus because it was personal. I think from that very quickly tonight, we can draw that and understand this fact. Nobody can pray for your needs better than you can. Often we will take our needs to one another, and I'm not against that. I think the Bible is very plain that we are to bear one another's burdens. And we'll say, would you pray for this need? Pastor, would you pray for me? Uh, My friend has cancer. My family is suffering financially. Whatever the need may be, and we share those burdens and we bear one another's burdens. But let me tell you, it is not personal to somebody else like it is to you. And I would encourage you to have a life of prayer that can take your broken heart to the Lord. You alone know the intimate details and able to pour your heart out to God. It was personal, but it was persistent. In verse 45, we read, And Jesus said, Who touched me when all denied? Peter uh, and that they were with him, said, Master, the multitude thronged thee, and he pressed thee, he savest thou who touched me. I, I read that verse just, just to, to point out the fact that there was a multitude thronging him. Notice what they said when the woman with the issue of blood pushed her way through. That tells me that Jairus also had to push his way through. How many of you know that Jesus never made any special exceptions just because you're a ruler of the synagogue? They weren't allowed to jump to the front of the line with anybody else. And the Bible says there was a throng of people. We read it twice in this passage in verse 42. But as he went, the people thronged him. And the Bible says in verse 45, there was a throng of people. He was persistent in getting to Jesus. It was important to him. I was just thinking about this. I was laughing the other day. I'm I'm not super patient. If I drive by somewhere and there's a long lineup, I don't normally stay. And I just found Austin Judge is the same way. There was the cheesecake truck, and he was supposed to go pick up the coupons, and he drove by twice. He said, I said, I'm not waiting in that big old line. I've got things to do. So ladies, if you didn't get your cheesecake, you'd have to blame Austin, all right? But I promise you, Miss Cindy went and got it, and you're going to get your cheesecake, okay? But I'm kind of like that too, aren't I, hon? We had to go to the bank the other day, and I said, if that line is going around the building like it was last time I saw, I'm not stopping We'll just come back another time when it's not so busy. But this man was persistent. He says, there's no long line too long. This is my daughter we're talking about. So it was personal. It was persistent. It was pleading. Verse 41 says, and behold, there came a man named Jairus, and he was of the ruler of the synagogue, and he fell down at Jesus' feet. And the Bible says, he besought him. The word besought means to seek comfort. He was begging. He was pleading with God. He was looking for some relief from the turmoil he was facing. And it was the death of his daughter. But I want you to know also it was without pretense. I would encourage you to write these things down very quickly because I'm not going to dwell on them tonight. But when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ, there's some good principles that we read here. It was personal. You need to take personal responsibility for those things going on in your life and pour your heart out to God. It was persistent. He had to push through the multitudes and the throngs As the Bible calls it, it was pleading. He besought the Lord, which means to seek comfort. It was without pretense. The Bible says he fell down at Jesus' feet. Do you understand what it took for a ruler of the synagogue to fall down before a commoner's feet? But when your daughter is dying, it doesn't matter. Jewish leaders would carry themselves a certain way. They would dress a certain way. There was much pageantry and religious piety that surrounded them. But Jairus said, none of that matters now. And so we see a desperate inquiry. But I want you to notice, secondly, we see a despondent Interruption. A despondent woman stepped in, and the Bible says in verse 43, a woman having an issue of blood 12 years, which had spent all her living upon physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind him and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of blood stanched. And Jesus said, who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master... The multitude thronged thee, and pressed thee, and sayest thou who touched me? Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue has gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said, If her daughter be of good comfort, and thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace. It was a despondent interruption. This woman was in a place of despondency. She had suffered for 12 years, the Bible tells us, at the hand of doctors. They could not give her an answer for what was going on in her body. And she interrupted the Lord. If I were Jay Iris, I might be a bit upset. I'd already pushed my way through the throng and I'd humbled myself and fallen at his feet without pretense and I had pleaded with the Lord to come and save my daughter and now he was moving in the right direction he'd heard my cry and now this woman has the nerve to step in. She's been sick for 12 years. Surely she can wait another day. My daughter's going to die now. I need him now. We read those six or seven verses very quickly but I believe it took quite a bit longer as the author was just outlining the very premise of what was going on. But it look, look, took a lot longer. The Lord Jesus stopped in his tracks. He said, who touched me? And as you looked around, that multitude, many would answer, it wasn't, wasn't me. It wasn't me. Peter and the other disciples said, what do you mean, who touched you? You're in a throng of people. I, I'm just illustrating it took some time, this interruption that took place. Finally, this woman stepped forward and she fell at his feet and said, Lord, it was I and I've been sick. And the Lord says, Thy faith hath made thee whole. But in the time it took for this interruption, this man got some news. Verse 49: While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, Thy daughter is dead. Trouble not the master. Have you ever had interruptions like that in your life? We're just waited too long to be of a help any longer. When we think about this despondent interruption, I want to say first of all, from a human perspective, it costs valuable time. For a human perspective, it costs valuable time. I can't imagine what J. Iris was thinking. I'm guessing he's going, "Come on, this is wonderful," and he's walking, and here comes Jesus, and all of a sudden he just stops. Jesus. Please, come. This is desperate. It is urgent. It is now. She can't wait any longer. And Jesus begins to inquire about the crowd. And finally, a woman comes, and he speaks to her and ministers to her. All the while, Jairus is thinking, what is going on? From a human perspective, it costs valuable time, for we see that his daughter died. But from a heavenly perspective, it created a valuable test. It created a valuable test. I don't know if you understand this or not. I'm sure you do. But Jesus can't raise anybody from the dead if they're not dead. Pretty profound. Jairus' daughter in the meantime died, but it just created a greater work. Had Jesus visited that young girl while she was sick, some might have said, well, you know, she was sick, but she got better. She's 12 years old. She's in the prime of her life. She's strong. And maybe the fact that Jesus visited her cheered her up. She was able to stir and get up and take some nourishment and feel better. But when somebody is dead, there's no doctor that can help that, save one. The great physician, from a heavenly perspective, it created a valuable test. This interruption would be enough time to allow the daughter to die. His faith would be shaken, but would it break? You know, sometimes we're called to wait on the Lord. And we we always answer that with a question. When somebody says wait on the Lord, we say, "How long?" We may not verbalize it, but we ask it in our heart, don't we? How long do I have to wait? How long? Lord, I've been patient. I've been praying. I've been begging. I've been pleading. I go to the church praying. God, I need an answer. It's almost too late. God says, but they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up as wings, as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. The psalmist reminds us in Psalm chapter 27, Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Well, the Bible says in verse 48, And he said unto her daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith hath made thee whole, go in peace. While he yet spake, there cometh one from the ruler of the synagogue's house, saying to him, Thy daughter is dead, trouble not the master. But underline that word in your Bible. It's not the word justification or salvation or propitiation or no condemnation, but it's an important word. Thy daughter is dead, but... But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, Fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. When he came into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John, and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not. She is not dead, but sleepeth. Now, some people argue with this passage of scripture, and there's no need to argue with it. Some will say, well, he didn't let anybody go in the house with him. But he gets inside the house. After he goes into the house, he begins speaking to people. Because there was already people in the house. He didn't let anybody else go in with him, except for Peter, James, and John. The other the rest of the disciples didn't go in. Others that were following him in the throng weren't allowed into the house. But there was already people in the house. Maybe the child's mother. Maybe some servants. This was a ruler of the synagogue. And so as he goes in, people were weeping and wailing. And he said, weep not. She is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. You see, why didn't Jesus worry? Why wasn't he concerned? I'm going to be honest with you, as a pastor, it's very easy to let somebody down. If I were in the position of Jesus and I'm on my way to Jairus' house knowing that I have the ability to help this sick child and to raise her back to health and strength and, and I'm interrupted by the throng of people and by the woman with the issue of blood and news comes and Jesus overhears it that the child is dead, my heart would break thinking I had a chance to help and I let her down. But Jesus never panicked. He never worried as a matter of fact, he speaks words of peace, fear not. Believe only, and she shall be made whole. It's because Jesus has a deeper insight. Jesus understands the end from the beginning. Jesus can know what's going to happen tomorrow. He kept moving toward Jairus' home, and he could see something that he could, they could not see. He had a spiritual perception through the eyes of faith, he could say, fear not, believe only, and she shall be made whole. And because of his spiritual perception, he made that soothing proclamation, and he let them know, just believe. It'll be okay. Now, I want to jump you down to the, verse 55. We're going to come back to verse 53 and 54 in a moment. Or sorry, verse 54 we'll jump to. We'll come back to 53 and 54 in a moment because I want to draw that out at the end. But look at verse 54 with me. Jesus had a divine insight. He had a spiritual perception. He was able to comfort these people with a soothing proclamation, fear not, believe only. And look what he does. And he put them all out, verse 54, and he took her by the hand and called, saying, made Arise. And her spirit came again. And she arose straightway. And he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished. But he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. I've called these last few verses a divine intervention. A divine intervention. Quickly, we see a call. A call made, arise. We see a command. And her spirit came again and she rose straightway and he commanded to give her meat. We see a concern, verse 56, and her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. The concern in verse 56 puzzles me a bit because this was not the year of hiding or This was now the year of popularity. This was a time where Jesus was openly doing miracles. As a matter of fact, a whole throng just saw him healed, the one with the issue of blood, and many others were there for the same purpose that they might be healed. Why would Jesus say that she should tell no man what was done? I I can only guess, and I'll give you some ideas perhaps. One, perhaps to preserve the girl from being a spectacle. She was not a grown woman. She was a 12-year-old child. And perhaps Jesus was just simply protecting her. Perhaps it was to cause those who mocked to believe by faith and not by sight. Maybe it was to punish those that would mock. The Bible says they laughed him to scorn. But I want you to back up now. I want you to see verse 53 and 54 and see if those reasons or those ideas maybe don't hold true. He so say, what were they? Again, Jesus had a concern. Go and tell no one. I don't want anybody to know about this one. The woman with the issue of blood, okay. The others in the multitude, fine. But this little girl, let's keep this one to ourselves. And maybe this is why. Verse 53, verse 52. And all wept and bewailed her, but he said, Weep not, she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out and took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. I've called this a doubting ignorance. A doubting ignorance. They doubted because they were ignorant to what the Lord could do. Their ignorance led them to mock the master. Their ignorance led them to mock the master. Number two, and here's what I want to draw out tonight, their ignorance ignorance led them to miss the miracle. Where were they when this took place? There's, there's a lot of things. If I could go back 2,000 years, you know, Somebody say, Would you like to go to Israel again? Yeah, but I'd like to go there 2,000 years ago. You know, Brother Dorkson, remember you used to sing that song, I Walk Today Where Jesus Walked? Have you sang that, Tony? I thought so. I'd like to actually go back and do that with him, follow him around a little bit. I'd love to see the man at the pool of Bethesda. I think that's a neat story in the Bible. Hey, when I say story, I, I don't mean like a fairy tale, I believe it. I'd like to see the man with the withered hand. I really I want to see. I want to see the one where they tore the roof off and lowered him down. That man, that would raise your rent, I'll tell you that. But I want to see that, that'd be a neat one to watch, wouldn't it? I'd love to see Jesus walk on water. That would be really cool. There's a lot of things I'd like to see. But these people, do you know the ones that mocked him to scorn? They had a front row seat. They were sitting in the bedroom of a little girl that was dying who had actually died and Jesus was about to call back to life. I'll well, tell you what, I'll trade them all to get to see somebody raised from the dead. That would be cool. That would, that'd be incredible. To see Jesus say, her rise. And the Bible says straightway she got up. I, I, I like to think she went. Boo! Wouldn't that be cool? She, I mean, just jumped up, and boy, that'd scare them. They missed it. They missed it because they laughed at them. They laughed at them. The Bible says that there's some ignorance that God winks at, but not theirs. He put them all out, and he took her by the hand and called, saying, Maid, arise. Let me ask you this. How many things have you missed out on simply because you lacked faith? I remember, and I have shared this before, when we found out, it was 2011, I can't believe it's been 10 years already, it was September of 2011. My wife and I were in Edmonton at the pastor's conference there and we got a call that Casey had cancer. She was just a kid. That's a decade ago almost. We pulled the car over. We broke our hearts and we were praying. And Pastor Stone was in the back and he was on the phone and he didn't know what was going on. And Pastor Rimple, we just pulled over. We started praying together and crying. We didn't know it. Incredible. I remember that Sunday getting back to church and preaching that morning, I still remember what I preached. Uh, we we're, were shaken. Uh, what it was uh, uh, pressed but not, uh, constra- constrained but not pressed, and uh, whatever that passage is. I can't remember off the top of my head now. I remember preaching that message and illustrating it here. And I, I remember later that same week I was preaching at Faithway, and I preached the same message, and Cindy was there, and it was the same, same thing on my heart. I remember that morning people just packing the altars to pray with Cindy or Casey. I, re- I remember that. It was, it was incredible. People came and just ladies piled around her and prayed over her. I was, I was so thankful for our church doing that. And She just stood there and wept as people prayed all around her. I had a baptism that morning so I, I ran out after the invitation and Pastor Paul came up and I, I went out and I, got, I was getting ready for baptism, and I baptized somebody, and I was coming out of the tank, and I got cleaned up. And I got out the door, and, and he was giving announcements to close the service still, and somebody was out in the hallway. They had left during the invitation, and they said, all that weeping is not going to help, preacher. It's not going to change a thing. All I could think to say was, they that weep in tears, so in tears shall. Uh, the, the, my mind is gone. I'm, I'm all choked up. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. And I was hurrying my way over to shake hands at the door. I thought, what a lack of faith. What a horrible thing. That's the same person that says, let's pray for rain, but they never bring an umbrella. How many miracles do we miss out on because we scorn? Oh no, you may not laugh out loud. Sarah laughed out loud at God. And God said, why did you laugh? Said, I didn't laugh. He says, you sure did. You laughed. But next year I'm going to visit you, and at this time you're going to have be with child. And she laughed because she was 90 years old. Probably 89 at the time. How many times do we miss out on the hand of God? Oh, we're not laughing openly, but in our hearts we're saying, hmm, it'll never happen. We pray for somebody who's dying. And we turn to our neighbor and say, oh, well, I guess they're in trouble. Not if you gave them to the Lord, they're not. The best place you can be is in his hands. We just need to learn to trust. They laughed him To scorn. If you don't get anything else out of this message tonight, get that. When we doubt, we get pushed out of the presence of Jesus. Because you're only there by faith in the first place. You get pushed out. He moved them all out. And he'll work. He he doesn't need you to work. He'll go ahead and do his work without you. But you'll miss it. I want to see it. I want to be there when his hand moves. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Help us, Lord, with your word tonight. Lord, I pray that you would move. I pray that I would not be one to doubt you. Lord, you're you're a much bigger God than we ever even think or credit you for. Lord, we... Trust you for so many little things, Lord. We want to see some big things. We want to see God move. We want people to know that there's a God in Simcoe, a God in, Norfolk, a God in Canada. He can do abundantly, exceedingly more than we ask or think. Help us to trust in him. And Father, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet tonight. Well, I guess there's only eight of us. Let's stand. If God has spoke to your heart, the altar's open. Friends at home that are listening, Would you go, Lord, in prayer? Some of you might need to say, God, I'm sorry I doubted you. I'm sorry I doubted you. I've missed so much because I've laughed in my heart. I want to see the hand of God. If you're listening tonight, you might say, Well, what happened to Casey? Casey's a grown woman. Finished university. Wanting to move on with her life healthy and happy. That's the hand of God.